Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Unfiltered. I'm your host, Kaya McCullough, and I'm so excited to be back with you all with another episode. You already know what this show is about. Each week, we discuss topics surrounding race, politics, sport, pop culture, you name it. We talk about it and, you know, how they impact the moment that we're currently living in. So this week, I have another really awesome guest for you guys. One of my very best friends from childhood, Izzy, and I'll let her introduce herself a little bit later. Uh, But again, one of my oldest, nearest, dearest friends. I think I've known her for over a decade now, um, which sounds weird to say because I don't think I'm that old. But anyways, (laughs) this week we're going to be talking about growing up as, you know, two young black biracial women in Orange County. I know I've already talked about it a lot on this show, but I think it's awesome to have other perspectives on it. And then we're also going to be talking about mental health and relationships. So hopefully you guys won't judge me too hard after this episode. Um, But yeah, so here's Izzy. everyone. My name is Isabella Ngotti Jones. I am half black, half Italian, 22 years old. Um, I went to Concordia, Irvine, played D2 soccer. I graduated um, studying liberal studies and I'm currently pursuing my master's in counseling to be a therapist. She's educated. You hear that people? She is educated. But yeah, so for background, Izzy and I met playing soccer um when we were what Not 10 11 9 or 10 i think probably turning 10 yeah i mean i think we were on different teams at first but then we ended up being on the same team for like years and years and years so our families were always really close and it was nice having somebody that looked like me <laughs> playing soccer with me so i'm really excited to have you here i think your perspective is very valuable and I'm sure people would love to hear your story. So I'm glad to have you here. Thanks for joining me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Okay. Um, So many stories um, to pick from, but the one that keeps like popping in my head is I just, and this might not be just like one specific story, but I just remember (laughs) you were always just super down to like do whatever. And I mean, you still are, but when we were in high school and we used to go to those all high school dances, (laughs) I just have this one, like, so an all high school dance was like, you know, how normal high schools like would have their gym dances or whatever, for whatever reason in Orange County, like (laughs) once a month, once every other month, there would be like a big dance with like all the high schools that were in Orange County. And so, you know, that was the time when we were able to go to dances together, like gym dances, because it was open for all Orange County people. And so (laughs) I just have this one like picture in my head the one that was like jungle themed and like we have the most outrageous like mismatching animal print outfits on and I think that we posted the photo and it was like twerk team or something like that and we were like 15 years old um but (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're just excited to wear spandex yeah like spandex (laughs) and like a tank top and a sports bra like not great (laughs) Um, but to me, I don't know, that just emphasizes to me, like how down you were for anything and also just how much we've grown up together because I would not be caught dead wearing that ever again or (laughs) going through anything like that ever again. So (laughs) that was cute though. That's what matters. (laughs) We were super cute always. Um, I look at like our old photos together, like on Facebook and I, I just cringe. Like, we seriously both had such a glow up. So I'm so happy for for us. I know. God bless. (laughs) So, you know, when we're talking about a glow up, I think, you know, we're talking about growing up. And I've talked a bit about it on this podcast. But growing up in Orange County as, like, a Black biracial woman for me, was not easy, and I'm sure you had similar struggles. So I was wondering if you could just kind of talk about your experience very broadly, however you want to do it. Um, What was your experience like growing up in Orange County? Well, 
I, my mom is Italian. So, and my dad worked out of state most of the time. So I always, she always told me like, you're Italian, you're Italian. So I never thought of the black side of me, not until middle school where like there was more black kids and they acted different. I would used to say that I was whitewashed. And so I would, I was kind of caught like, oh wait, like they act different, but they look like me. Like, am I am I doing something wrong? And like the slang felt wrong. And like, I tried to wear Nikes and it like felt awkward. And so I was like, maybe I just don't fit in. So it was a lot of just like trying to figure out like, am I black or am I white? But I, for some reason, couldn't like mesh the two together. Like I couldn't accept that I was mixed. I just thought I had to be one or the other. Yeah. I feel like that, that was a similar struggle that I had just because, you know, there weren't a ton of black kids, at least near my school. I think your school was a little bit more diverse, at least your high school. But yeah, like not really fitting either mold and then feeling like that was my problem um, was one of the, the one of the biggest issues I had growing up. And it took me a long time, like you said, to like reconcile the two identities. Um, but I mean, I think what helped me was having, you know, people who I could relate to like you and Kenna. Kenna was already on this podcast, so people kind of know our relationship, but you have sisters and you guys all look very, very alike. So I was wondering, like, do you think that that impacted you at all? Just knowing that you had people who looked similarly to you or who, you know, had experiences that were similar to you? Yeah. Um, I feel like it helped me feel like more understood. I didn't feel like such an outcast because like I had my sisters, but I also had you and Kenna. So it was almost like, okay, yeah, I look different, but I do have like friends and family that understand me so I didn't feel as ostracized as like a black only black girl in class because I knew that I had people that also felt the same way does that make sense yeah and for me it was hard just because all of those people in my life or most of those people in my life were outside of school yeah so so I often felt like I had to be like a different person at home Mm -hmm. versus like at school and I you know in a lot of ways I think I felt myself conforming to whiteness in a way that now I'm like, oh, like I cringe at it. But, you know, that was what was acceptable where we were. Like, I just remember like waking up all the time and like straightening my hair because that's what I thought like, you know, I had to look like. And I don't know. There, There's a lot that I, <laughs> I guess, regret as a kid. But, you know, I, I didn't really know any better. And I am glad that I was able to kind of like get out of the bubble, as I like to say. Uh, There are a few of us who are able to, but yeah. Do you ever feel like you had to also conform into that kind of box that whiteness creates in Orange County, especially? It's interesting because I, I I don't know why I didn't. I think it might've been because I watched my older sister, Gabriella, like straighten her hair. And like how it reacted negatively to her curly yeah. hair, and I was like, "Oh well, I don't want that to happen." So I did <laughs> just straighten my hair, and I don't, I don't know. I just didn't. I I understood that I was different, and I kind of just was like, "Okay, well, if the white guys aren't gonna like me, then I should just go for like the Hispanic guys that probably will." Like I just kind of like it was like survival of the fittest. Like I didn't, yeah. Like I just. And I think it did get to me in middle school, like seeing the really pretty like white girls that had straight hair and like did their makeup. And I was like, wow, like I'm not as pretty as them. I felt like yeah, kind of just accepted it because I don't think I felt like I wanted to change myself. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I don't think I really thought about being black until I got to college, to be honest. Like it didn't really hit me like, oh, I'm way different than these people. And like my (laughs) perspective is completely different. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that because uh, <laughs> you swerved. You like were like, well, if the white men aren't going to like me. And, you know, that was hard. And we'll get into dating relationships later in the show. But it was hard, you know, not really fitting that, like, standard of beauty. Because I I would say that this is a pretty universal thing, like, at least in Orange County. Like, all the popular groups were, like, the white girls with, like, the pretty long hair who wore, like, the converse or whatever the bands yeah with skinny jeans and makeup and you know hair poof and everything and I don't know my hair didn't do that (laughs) um but at my middle school there was a like there was a solid group of black kids 
And so it was kind of like everyone kind of understood each other and we were friends like separately than the popular group. And I had this experience multiple times over 4th of July in middle school and kind of in high school where all the black kids would go into Ladera Ranch and like meet up and we'd all just like hang out on 4th of July. So it was fun to like be around people that looked like me. And I feel like that really influenced how I felt about being black because there was a there was a group of people. So it was almost like, oh, well, like I feel cooler than the white kids now because like there's a bunch of us, you know, there's we have numbers. We yeah. have power. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say that there was anything. I mean, at El Toro, there was like black kids who like definitely hung out together. But I felt like we were all kind of just trying to like make our own way. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> now looking back, I'm like, we totally and I'm friends with like a lot of the black kids now that I mm-hmm. went to high school with that I weren't that I didn't necessarily like hang out with all the time. Um, So we definitely could have done like the whole Power Rangers thing, (laughs) like gotten together and became whatever it's called. What do you call them? The like mega, whatever. Definitely could have done that, um, but we didn't. So definitely a regret that I have. Um, Would you say that you have any, I guess, regrets from growing up? Um, in relation to, I guess, your identity? And you don't have to, but I know I do, so. Like, I feel like I I wanted to be something that I wasn't a lot. Like, I wanted to dress how everyone else dressed and, like, just be everyone else, basically. And I guess I just wish that I could just, like, accept myself earlier on and, like, my hair, because I really didn't like my curly hair, but I didn't know what to do with it, so I just was, like, whatever. I just wish I could have had more, like, self-love, I guess, even though it's so cliche. Like, yeah. that I'm different, but that's a good thing, but it's so hard in middle school to understand that. And now, now people are, like, oh, you're so, you're so beautiful, like, you're so, yeah. and people are, like, you're so exotic. Don't call me exotic, first of all. Second of all, like, now it's kind of, like, the things that, you know, not hated about ourselves, but the things that, you know, we didn't necessarily like about ourselves when we were younger are now kind of our biggest assets. Yeah. Well, like the the culture definitely changed. I feel like kind of in like 2015, 2016, there was like a pivot, like light skins became like, like desired and it was like a cooler thing. And I feel like that kind of worked, like, it's a bad thing, but it worked in our favor because then it was like, oh, they're pretty now. Or like, oh, being thicker is like good. And so it's interesting how, just how society changed. And then we were like, I felt more accepted then. And then I started to like how I looked. Yeah. The rampant colorism that we're seeing with um, light skins. I keep seeing these things on Twitter (laughs) and every single time they make me laugh because they are so true. How like within the black community, mixed kids with black fathers and white mothers are like the weakest link. Cause a lot of times they are the ones who are like, the closest to whiteness and who up- uphold whiteness in the most like in the strongest way and so every single time I see that I'm like it's it's right because a lot of the the black kids or the mixed kids that I know who kind of aren't doing a lot for the community have white mothers and black fathers so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's I feel like it's even hard for me like as my mom's white like I feel like I shouldn't take up space talking about things. So it's like, okay, well, like I've benefited from how I look a lot of the time and I don't experience a lot of bad racism, you know, except yeah. for uh, just... the occasional, the yeah. occasional. Yeah. yeah. I, I was in Newport and yeah. there's this kid. I, t- I told you this, there's this kid who literally was like, let's go hang out with those enters over there. And I was like, you are in a car with two i was with ari and i was like you are in a car with two like black people like what what possesses you to like say that like and he was like i didn't mean i didn't mean i don't care if you meant it like why would you say that and i i ended up going off on him so like i think it's more of like in the way that the way that we're privileged is you know we don't experience necessarily some of the like overt harsh racism Mm -hmm. um like being directly called something or you know being directly targeted by police or by you know individuals for the way that we look but you know there definitely is some of that more covert racism like for example being called exotic 
Mm-hmm. I hate that shit. I really yeah. do. It irks me every single time. Um, or just like, again, like people thinking that because, you know, the way that we look that we excuse racist behavior. Yeah. yeah we'll let it slide. Yeah. Like, no, you're not allowed to say that near me. What? Exactly. I actually have a story. Like when I started going out in Newport, I started to like kind of be uncomfortable with being black almost because like I noticed like if I wore my curly hair out there I wouldn't get approached and like even if I went up to a guy he would be like no I don't want to talk to you but then if I wore a, a straight ponytail it would be yeah. like I'd get so much more attention and it got really I got really in my head about it like I was like I don't think I look as pretty with curly hair and like god bless COVID because I would have gone downhill I feel like if I kept going out because I was yeah. like I don't want to wear my curly hair anymore and I, I still feel that a lot. Like, to this day, like, I straighten my hair if I'm going out because that's, like, that internalized thing that I still have in my head from growing up here. And, like, to be fair, like, I think I look great with curly hair or with straight hair. But, like, that little th- voice in the back of your head, exactly like you said, you're like, well, because it is noticeable, like, the differences in especially the men out here, mm-hmm. like the attention that you receive as a biracial woman, like it's completely different when you're identifying, you know, or when you're presenting more with whiteness versus when mm-hmm. you're presenting more with blackness, it's like noticeable. Right. Yeah. It's gross. Oh, <laughs> it really is. I could bring up so many topics like like okay I'm gonna say this really quick but I got braids once like the cute little like inside out braids and I noticed a lot of anti-blackness in myself because as soon as I saw myself I was like whoa I look too black and then I was like where what's that thought like that's not right you know but it's like I'm almost afraid to like accept my identity because I I don't want other people to think of me like as negative. And I just was like, I need to work on that because that's, I need to accept that part of myself, you know? And after a few days, I was like, I look cute. I don't know why that was such a big deal to me at first. Yeah, no, 100%. It's a lot of, you know, unlearning. And, you know, I think that's kind of across the board for a lot of people is like unlearning some of those negative stereotypes that have kind of just been like conditioned into us. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, whether that's from our personal lives or from our experience or just from, like, society as a whole, like, telling us that, like, black hairstyles aren't professional. Right. Black hairstyles don't look good. Black hairstyles are ghetto. Mm -hmm. Like, that's unlearning that needs to be done constantly. And, you know, I feel myself sometimes being like, well, like, internalizing a lot of the the whiteness that I've I've been around. And, you know, it's a it's a process. But I'm glad I have people like you to talk through it with because, again, like it it is a process. Yeah. And it helps so much having the same not the same experience, but understanding each other, because like I can come to you and be like, I feel like this. and You're like me, too. (laughs) I don't know how to help, but (laughs) I feel like a lot of times when we when we talk like it's just us venting to each other just because none of us have the answers uh or neither of us have the answers and we're just kind of like feeling our way through it um but yeah I guess you know and that's kind of why I wanted you on because I feel like our conversations are always so authentic and always so healing for me and this podcast, I guess, like secretly is like my my little <laughs> video diary um, where I can just talk about the things in my life that I have issue with. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, let's talk about mental health because uh, mine has been up and down, especially this, this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you obviously know that there's a lot of trauma in my life to unpack Um you have a lot of trauma to impact in your life. And again, this is not a trauma podcast, but whatever we are comfortable talking about would love to mm-hmm. discuss. So my first question with that is overall, like what has your mental health journey looked like? It's been very rocky. It's a lot of like a couple weeks at a time. I'll be like, you know, I'm doing great. Like I'm working on this and then something will trigger me and I will be back at like square one. And it's really frustrating most of the time. Like, I feel like it's so romanticized in social media, like mental health and taking care of yourself because it's not fun. And I hate it most of the time because it's like, I don't want to deal with this stuff. But what I am really grateful for through my mental journey is like learning resilience 
and understanding like even if I get knocked down 10 times like I know that I can get back up despite myself not thinking that I can and and at the end of the day I just know it's like it's a journey it's not a place where I can just get to and be like okay I'm done because I used to think that it was like that but it's not and I feel like more people need to know like it's it's a continuous process yeah I've kind of like I've kind of just determined that it's going to be something that I deal with for the rest of my life and now that I've kind of resolved myself to that and I have kind of deprogrammed myself from thinking like okay this is just a place that I'm going to get like once I feel like this I'm going to be all good um because every time that happens and I think I'm in a good place something else happens and I spiral (laughs) so (laughs) I'm done with that mentality with it um but what would you say was like one of the biggest factors in like in like you deciding to explore like your mental health and work on like actively fixing it it was actually myself finding I was in an abusive relationship for like seven to eight months. And I didn't really I didn't know that abuse could be emotional abuse. So I thought that I was doing okay until I found myself like, just at rock bottom. And I needed I just felt like I needed someone to talk to that was like that could actually help me that wasn't a friend, like unbiased just someone to help. So that's when I started going to therapy. And I, I, she was telling me about different theories and stuff. And I got really motivated, like, whoa, I can do this on my own. And I can learn a lot. And just grow through myself. And also faith helped me in that aspect as well. But yeah, that's what started it was my abusive relationship. Yeah, it's tough. Because um, when you're in those cycles, I feel like you, you mentioned like you needed kind of an objective third party who wasn't, you know, gonna just tell you what you wanted to hear whatever I feel like in my life in those instances when I've been in situations that I probably should have exited a lot earlier like you and my mom and my family and my friends would be telling me like Kaya wake up and I'd be like I would just come up with every single excuse in the book like every single excuse in the book and you know it's hard it's hard just because you want to be there for that person and you want like you can see it so clearly for them and until they themselves recognize like they need help and they need to you know get out of that situation I don't know it's just tough because like you kind of have these blinders on when you're in that situation and it takes something like really traumatic to kind of like wake you up and like be like oh shit like I need to get out of this um yeah yeah it sucks because like in that in that um, space, you feel like you need to make it work, and you need to like almost lie to your friends about what's happening so that they're on your side. And it yeah. just it sucks because you're so young, and you should you should just leave. And I remember telling you like you're gonna do it when you feel like you need to, because I was in that yeah. place. And like once it just clicked in my head, I was like, I don't need to do this anymore. And I knew that you'd get to that space too, and you did. Yeah. I- Yes, I did. Now I'm on my hot girl shit. Don't worry. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I, it's funny because like you were the person that I most gravitated towards in terms like when I was in those relationships, like you were the person I gravitated most towards. And it's probably just because I, I knew that you knew what I was going through. But at the same time, like, even though I was asking for help or like trying to, I just was not listening. Like I just straight up did not want to listen. (laughs) And exactly like you said, I remember you telling me like, you're going to figure it out. Like you'll, you'll leave when like, you know, and I was like, okay, if you say so. But um, I mean, eventually, yeah, I did. And I'm, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I had your support through all that because that was a super traumatic (laughs) relationship looking back on it. Mm -hmm. It's it's hard because you don't want it to end because you've put so much effort and tears yeah. into it. But yeah, you're like, if I walk away now, like this is just a waste. This has just been a waste of years of my life. Like, what did I do all this suffering for if I'm not <laughs> getting anything out of it? And for yeah, me, I too, like, yeah, and for me too, like I'm not completely like you know a victim in my the negativity and the toxicity of my relationships. Like I definitely. I am very anxiously attached and again whole other episode about <laughs> f- 
family trauma and things that I'm working through now in therapy. But, you know, I definitely have behaviors that were toxic as hell. And I can look back and be like, oh, that's not good. That is borderline, like, abusive, like, emotionally abusive. Like, that is not good. And I think, you know, being out of a relationship has given me the space to just reflect and work on myself and, you know, try and get to like the root causes of those issues that I had while I was in relationships. And a lot of it does have to do with like my mental health straight up. It's, it's interesting how when we're in these situations, we like just go back to what helped us best, even if that's like a really negative response, like you saying it was emotionally abusive, like that, that's what was helping you out at that space. And so that's what was working and you kept doing it. So it's interesting, like, once you're healing, being like, wow, that's that's what I fell back on because it worked. And now I need to fix that. Yeah. It's like a positive feedback loop, but actually like yeah. it's not a positive thing. It's like a yeah. negative positive it feedback loop. Is it? Yeah. <sighs> I know we both just, ooh. Like, yeah, like when I just think about it, I'm like, man, that was rough. <laughs> I'm definitely in a lot different of a space now with my mental health and like obviously I've gotten a really awesome therapist who makes me feel very validated in my feelings I think a lot of my problem is like I gaslight myself to hell about everything like I literally find ways to make excuses for people in all facets of my life like racism relationships like shitty friendships like I will be like oh it's something I did And so something that I've been definitely working on has been stopping myself from gaslighting myself and just being like, okay, not everything is your fault, Kai. I know you burden all this stuff all the time, but like, not everything is your fault. Yeah, that's really hard. It is. And kind of a pivot, but I know that soccer has like affected my mental health in a lot of ways. Um, (laughs) uh, Soccer is a, an intense sport. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, you know, how has it helped you? How has it helped your mental health? And how has it harmed your mental health? Yeah. Well, I'm going to start off with saying that I was really blessed to be at Concordia because my coach, for the first time in my life, my coaches like trusted me with what I could do on the field. And they saw me as a person, not just a soccer player. Like my yeah. freshman year, they're like, oh, like, who are you? And I was like, I'm an athlete. And they're like, no, you're not. Like, that's yeah. not who you are. And so like the throughout the four years, I had to really like learn myself before being an athlete. And my coaches, specifically the head coach, Chris Gould, he supported my mental health. And um, when I was going through that really hard time of that abusive relationship and processing my trauma, um, he allowed me to like skip lifting to go to therapy because he knew that like if I didn't value my mental health, that I would just I would have gone off the tracks, you know, and I look back and I'm like, that's so I'm so grateful of his grace for that because I wouldn't have been able to perform if I didn't if I wasn't able to balance the two. Yeah. No, that is, that is really awesome of him. Cause I feel like a lot of male coaches don't really value mental health, especially with like their, their woman athletes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think he saw how hard it was for me, like every day, every day to like keep going. And so I'm just grateful that I had that push because I don't think I would have brought myself to therapy over soccer. And I just thank him for that because I think I would have sunk, honestly, I wouldn't have been able to perform. And I think soccer kind of kept me afloat in a way because I had an escape to be able to not think about things for a certain amount of time every day yeah and very similarly for me like soccer for most of my life has functioned as an outlet Mm -hmm. for a lot of you know trauma that I experienced in my life like soccer has been there for me since my parents got divorced like it has been the one activity that both my parents would go to together. Um, Even when they hated each other, they would always both support me through soccer. And so in a lot of ways, I think it was a very healing experience for me. And so I've kind of kept it as that throughout my life. Like again, it being an escape, it being a method of coping. um, I think in a mostly healthy way, like I was just able to perform, I was able to improve. And obviously it, you know, exercise is good for your mental health kind of thing. But 
my experience, like, again, college was awesome for me, but my experience going pro, like, my mental health fucking tanked. And I think part of that was because of COVID. Part of that was because a lot of the racial reckoning that we saw. Um, The league that I was playing in has a long way to go in terms of, like, racism. And so I was just constantly being subjected to, like, all this trauma. And so suddenly for me, soccer became not a safe space. In fact, it became the antithesis of that. Like, it became someplace that was harmful and scary. And, you know, I'm still dealing with that. Like, I'm not playing right now because I've been associating soccer with everything negative that happened to me last year. And so, you know part of me is like wanting to preserve that as what it was for me throughout my entire life, like safe space. And I feel like if I keep playing almost, it's going to keep being corrupted until I can change the way that I'm viewing it in my head right now. So definitely some positives, but also a lot of negatives, at least in my life. Yeah. It's just, it's just interesting how it shifted so much. And it's interesting also, like once you were alone in it, like your parents weren't there all the time, and it wasn't as much of a healing space. It just blew up in your face almost. I didn't think about that. Yeah, you're right. Like once it was, I always thought of it like once it became like a job and, and it wasn't just something for fun, like yeah, it was yeah. actually a way to like sustain myself. I was like, uh, but yeah, <laughs> not, uh, what is this? <laughs> no, but yeah, I guess too, like my parents weren't really coming. And again, that is, that could be because of COVID. I'm sure they would have showed up. Um right. But, yeah, like, uh, soccer, I think, can be healing. And sports in general can be really healing. But I feel like there are also a lot of negatives with sports, especially when you have coaches who are abusive, um, which is so prevalent. Yeah. No, I I coach high school, and it's so sad to see some girls be like, I'm losing my confidence because my coach says that I suck. I'm like, wow, that why is he a grown man saying that? You know, like, it's just a suicide. It's going to affect them for the rest of their life. And I know so many girls that, like, experience eating disorders because of their coaches in college. Yeah. It's it's terrible. And it starts really young, too. Like, it's not just college. Like, I mean, I think we were lucky enough to have pretty good coaches. Um but I'm thinking of one that might not be considered a good coach. Um, But yeah, I think in general, like I had a good experience, but I can see how easily a coach can ruin a sport for you because I experienced that once I got, you know, higher up. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm just grateful that I was able to finish my call, like my soccer career at Concordia because my coaches were so supportive and I needed that because my last year of club, I was, I was tanking like my mental, my yeah. mentality in soccer. Cause I thought I was the worst one on the field and my coaches weren't helping that. Yeah. And so I'm glad I, le- I ended up with positivity. It's funny. Cause right before I went to college and a lot of people know this, like I was set on quitting. I was like, I'm not fucking doing this anymore. Like I am done <laughs> because yeah. same thing. Like I kind of was just really jaded with it. And I had been experiencing just like a lot of, um, I guess, rejection in soccer. Like, I was going in with, like, the youth national teams and, like, not getting a ton of playing time and, I don't know, just a whole variety of things. And it took Sean being like, Kaya, what are you talking about? Like, you are a fantastic player, person, leader, like, woman. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you're going to kill it in college. Like, you're going to be great. And so, in that way, coaches can be really, like, affirming. And It's crazy how it's, like, always just one voice that can, like – turn around all of that spiraling when it's just one voice to begin with that's negative because I had the same experience I um when I was on beach I like was so nervous all the time and I messed up in front of Shane after I had committed and after the game I went up to him and I was like I'm so sorry like I messed up here and here and he's like dude like relax (laughs) like you're fine I was like what (laughs) I'm not in trouble so that was really good I think one of the negative things with soccer specifically is like that perfectionism that has kind of been instilled in my head that I'm still trying to work through, like the need to be perfect all the time or feeling like one mistake is the absolute end of the world, especially like for our position, mm-hmm. like as a center back, like if yeah. you make a mistake, that's that's game, you know what I mean? Or that could be game. Yeah. So like dealing with that pressure and that level of perfectionism is something that like I see translating into my my life in other areas and I'm like whoa this is not like 
the finals of a soccer game, Kyle. Like, this is just a normal last Tuesday. You don't need yeah. to be perfect all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I And even thinking back to high school, like, I compared myself so much to, like, you or, like, other girls that committed right away. Because, yeah. like, I committed my senior year to a D2, and that was always in my head, like, oh, I'm not good. Like, I went, I'm going to a D2. And it sucked, like, always thinking that I had, like, I wasn't good enough just because of where I was going to school and seeing people do so much better when, like, I didn't actually know yeah. it was going behind closed doors. But also, I feel like every, like, I am a firm believer in, like, everything happens for a reason. And, like, it seems like Concordia was, like, exactly the perfect fit for you. It is what mm-hmm. you needed. Like, not yeah. only with soccer in your life, but with the other areas in your life. And so I feel like, you know, you're you're destined for, like, you're going to do what you're destined for almost. I don't know. Thank that you. whole recruiting thing is so a bad. whole mess. I would see girls posting on Instagram that they committed, and I'm like, see, she's better than me, too. It just was so, it was so terrible. But And this is the last thing I'll say about soccer, because I want to move on to relationships. But, <laughs> like... For me, one of the things that I have been trying to unlearn is putting my self-worth in being a soccer player and, you know, trying to see myself beyond an athlete, beyond, like, the field. And it's been one of the hardest things because my entire life, since I was, like, five years old, I've been Kaya the soccer player. I've been Kaya the the star soccer player. Like, that is all I've been. I mean – and I'm not like I'm super smart like I do all my activist work whatever but I have to like remind myself I'm like Kai, you're not just a soccer player like your whole identity yeah like your whole identity is not wrapped up in your sport Mm -hmm. so yeah I can't imagine like the level that you got to how it has affected how you see yourself (laughs) it's it's crippling I yeah and I I commend you for going to therapy now because of it because it I bet it's really helping you. I'm sure it is. I love, I love my therapist. She's an astrologist too. So oh, and I'm so hyped because for so long I'm like, you should do therapy. And you're like, no, it doesn't work. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I mean, but but that's the mentality I had because I was like when I was a kid, I had to go to court mandated therapy. Yeah. Um, so you know, I didn't like, and I remember going to therapy and my doctor, Dr. Glass, had, like, all these board games that he would never fucking let me play. And so it was just, like, yeah. It was just me talking about, like, my trauma. And so I just associated, like, again, everything. Maybe that's something that my brain just does automatically. Like, I just associated everything that was negative in my life with therapy. Mm. And so I was, like, no. Like, I am not going back. And then I tried to at UCLA. And I got stuck with a therapist that, like, was helpful but not in the way that I needed Mm-hmm. um it was like a so, band-aid yeah yeah like it wasn't getting to the root of the issue like I felt like I was just going to him to rant about my ex you know what I mean <laughs> like, maybe I wasn't needed at the time honestly because like that's how I felt with school therapy as well it's like it wasn't helping but it was doing enough where like I was okay it was placating <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so <laughs> Now that I've mentioned going to therapy, just ranting about my ex, let's talk about relationships. Yay. So what to you makes a really positive, healthy, lovely relationship? Well, I wrote down some words. I wrote communication, respect, friendship, honesty, and vulnerability. But I think the the top two are probably communication and respect. Because if you're not getting respect, you're... Like, what are you doing there, you know? And you have to be able to talk to your partner and you can't fear them. And that's where I think that I got went wrong with a lot of my relationships because I was always afraid of what they would do if I spoke up. Yeah. Like, oh, that's such a big, I just got chills. Like, it's such a big one because, like, when you, when you get to the point where you're like, if I say this, then he's going to leave me. Or if I say this, he's going to, like, not talk to me. Like, get out, bro. Get yeah. out. That is red flag numero uno Mm -hmm. and it goes back to anxious attachment like that's totally an anxious thing to do like oh I can't say anything because I don't want to be alone yeah but now we're at the point where you know it's better to be alone than than be be, yeah than be suffering so on suffering then you know 
what would you say is an unhealthy toxic relationship like what are some of the signs what are some of the the flags i will call them um i'd i'd say like negotiating yourself to stay changing the narrative so that he doesn't sound or she doesn't sound as bad um like unpredictability being on a roller coaster um fear and disrespect yeah like you just and I remember when I was in that relationship I didn't listen to myself like I had a feeling like this isn't good and I should leave but I also was like I can't I can't leave so I feel like getting over that hill of the fear is what it leads you to the other side but it's so scary being in those places of like toxicity and part of you kind of gets, or I don't know about you, but like for me, like part of that was like addicting to me, like the roller coaster aspect of it, because in some weird way, I had made it out in my head that because it was going up and down and because there was such high highs and low lows, like that was care and that was love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's, is demented. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. It really, it really drew me away from myself because over time I I believed what he was telling me that I was broken and that only him would want like me like no one else would want me and over time it just was like I accepted it like I was like yeah like I'm not good enough for anyone else and it's so sad to look back at like how I thought about myself because none of that was true it was just someone that wanted to keep me in that low space it's just so manipulative like and it's it's hard especially like having an anxious attachment like because you do latch on to those things like you genuinely think that like you're not good enough for love or you're not good enough to be like a partner and so you do everything in your power to like try and maintain this relationship that is like not serving you at all yeah it's it's so sad because I feel like a lot of young women and men like go through um, emotional abuse or just physical abuse because they think that that's what they need to do. Like they like that's love. So I need to stay here. And it really, sorry, sorry. It, I was gonna say it just really ruins you for a couple years because then you have to unlearn all of those habits. I was gonna say like I also feel like a lot of the reason that that happens that like young people are convinced that this is what love is is because the way that it's been normalized in like media mm-hmm. and social media especially. Like I mean for example, my girl well not my girl I don't like her but Khloe Kardashian like why the fuck is she still with Tristan you know what I mean like it has been proven time yeah. and time again yeah, like the romanticism of like seeing with that partner like being with someone long term yeah it's so gross because it just undermines like in like you don't want to be alone yeah and just you know the justification of like cheating like cheating should not be a thing like you should not tolerate that at all that should be your your zero like you should not tolerate that at all and sorry no go ahead I was just gonna say what's interesting is like I remember in my relationship like he had cheated on me at one point and I listened to like his rationale of to why it happened and like I was so broken that I was like yeah that makes sense and I trust him because he's the he was like the voice in my head instead of my own voice like your own little guardian your conscience it's so interesting to me because it really just rewires how you're thinking it's scary and because then it almost puts you in this position of like helplessness which is not a good feeling to feel ever at all like just being helpless and like you know you can't really control what's going on around you like ugh. yeah like you you don't know what to do but you don't want to leave it's It's just it's sad looking back because but he put me through so much and I remember I got to one point which is very scary I wanted to like hurt myself to show him that he was hurting me yeah that level that I was at like that is terrifying and so sad for like a 19 year old to feel like yeah especially because you have so much just like ahead of you and to feel so like hopeless and helpless and to have to go to that extent to make somebody care care about you like like, it just (laughs) makes me shock like there's like that's crazy but at the time it was like made so much sense like oh I have to do this I didn't but it's sad that so many people go through it. It is. Um, I guess my my next question is like, how have the relationships that you've seen in your life by the people, you know, you've been surrounding, or you you've been surrounded with, whether that be like family members or your friends or teammates or roommates, whatever. Like, how has that informed your dating 
or your perspective on dating? I feel like I don't think I knew what to value really because like I mentioned earlier, my, my parents, like they, they are married, but they live in different States. And so it's like, I didn't know, like I knew it was friendship, but I didn't know what really was involved with like a romantic relationship. And my older sister didn't date in high school. So I was the first one. And so I, I didn't have enough examples of what a healthy relationship was. I just knew like a relationship blank. I didn't know what else it entailed. Like, that's just what you do. You you get in a relationship and then, you know, Mm -hmm. that's all it is. Mm -hmm. And it, like, I feel like we really need to teach youth what's healthy love and not abusive love because it can just be accepted so easily. It can just spiral out of control super easily. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I know for myself, like, I really don't. I feel like almost every single relationship in my life to the people with close that are like closest to me, especially like in my family have ended in like divorce. Mm. So I have this really cynical view of love and like relationships and dating for myself. And like, I know I don't trust easily. And I think that's a lot, a lot, a lot to do with like the people that I have seen in relationships. Mm -hmm. And even like with my friends, like I've seen how screwed over you guys have gotten. I'm like, Ooh, like I do not want to touch that. Like that is not for me. (laughs) Um, But I mean, you know, seeing you in like a healthy place now, knowing what you've come from does give me hope. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, we can pave, we can pave a different path for ourselves despite the past and despite you know, the trauma and despite what we're used to, like there's hope in one way. Yeah. And it starts with you. Like I always thought that like, Oh, a guy is going to like a knight in shining armor is going to save me, but it's yourself. Like I worked so hard last summer on my mental health and it was really hard most of the time, but I feel like going through that hard work, I was able to like come present myself in a relationship in a more positive way in a healthy way. So I was able to see like, after I went through so much therapy, I'd like talk to guys and be like, why is he acting like this? This is so stupid. Where in the past I'd be like trying to get his attention or like, you know, playing along with the games. And with my boyfriend now, Tristan, it's like just so under like real. And I didn't have to fight for, you know, acceptance or anything. I just could be myself. And I'm very grateful for that. Oh, it makes my, my small shriveled heart. So (laughs) happy. No, no, (laughs) I don't know. It's like I a lot of that I've learned in therapy has helped in my relationship. And I think I contribute sometimes a lot more than he does. Like he's like, you've taught me like communication and blah, blah, blah. It's like because I've spent years working on myself. <laughs> I've spent years cultivating these techniques. Like, <laughs> uh, I just came from, you know, like ground zero. And I can't, it's just it's really helpful, like focusing on yourself before you focus on anyone else. because It's not going to work. It's interesting, like, what you said about now noticing behaviors in, like, men especially that, you know, you might have, like, a romantic interest in because the same thing has happened to me. Like, I'll see something. I'm like, "Mm, no, that's a red, like, no, deal breaker. And, like, before I would have done anything possible to, like, excuse it and, you know, kind of just appease them that he'll want me and blah, 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 blah. Now I'm just like, I don't care if a man wants me. I don't that's not very high up on my list of priorities. Like I'm cute. I'm awesome. I'm wonderful. Um, if somebody has one thing that I don't like, I don't have to date them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Yeah. And I think that there's places that you can compromise and work on, but it can't yeah. be like communication. Like in the past I'd like compromise, like, Oh, he's just not good at texting. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm not saying like, don't compromise but like I feel like I was compromising on things that were actually deal breakers for me (laughs) and I just didn't know yet (laughs) yeah Um, and and now you're able to be like I'm not gonna do that again no thank you yeah not going down that road you can't you can't fucking text me back with an appropriate time no sorry like I'm not gonna play mind games with you like I'm a grown woman now well kind of grown I'm a grown woman now so no thank you and you really don't have to do anything for the, for the right attention like yeah. I feel like I'm doing way too much 
for what I thought I deserved. You don't need to do anything. Yeah. It'll come. I'm manifesting. (laughs) I didn't. I feel like when I went out with Tristan, I was just like, oh, see if he's cool. And he actually was like, I was like, huh, this is different. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is odd. This is a peculiar (laughs) feeling. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess my like last big question for you is what advice do you have for young women especially but anybody really who's going through you know some sort of toxic cycle of either abuse or just you know a relationship that is just really bad for them um and they you know can't really seem to get out of it and the cycle just keeps going what advice do you have for them um in general I would I would tell them that they don't deserve what they're experiencing first of all um I told them to listen to themselves because like your intuition is going to be right overall like even if you want to stay with them listen to what your heart is telling you to do and then I would also say if you think that you're in a in a abusive relationship in general like emotional abuse is still abuse um, you should look up red flags like for emotional abuse because that's what set me off into breaking up with my ex-boyfriend is like looked at it and I counted like out of 30 bullet points there was 22 that he did to me and I was like this isn't right <laughs> so I think just trust yourself trust your judgment because you probably are correct that you need to get out of that situation it's funny you just said that because I literally saw a tweet I think today on Twitter that was like if you're looking up on the internet, like, if you should leave, like, maybe that's a sign, sis. <laughs> yeah, no, and I remember, like, I would, like, tell my friends what would happen, but I'd, like, tweak it, and that's just, that's a red flag, too. Like, you shouldn't have to switch up the storyline. Like, if you're being hurt, you're being hurt, and it's okay to leave. It's just, I feel for whoever's out there that is hurting. Like, you don't deserve it. And, you know, I feel like a lot of the way that that, sort of cycle continues is that the high well the high and the person just makes you feel like alone in a way but you know in having this conversation with you and having conversations with plenty of other of my friends like I know that this happens a lot more frequently than I think we're all aware of Mm -hmm. um so just knowing that like you're not alone like people have have gone through something similar to you if not exactly the same like similar and there are resources out there and people who like love you for exactly who you are and who want you to be happy and healthy and thriving and prosperous and not suffering just because you feel like, you know, you need this person, you need X, Y, Z in this romantic way. Like one thing that I've, one big area of growth that I've had is like not putting all this value into having a romantic relationship. Like I am so fulfilled by my friendships for well, maybe not right now, but like a lot of the time, most of the time I'm so fulfilled by like my platonic relationships and just my friendships. Um, And I think, you know, being able to focus on like other areas of your life and, you know, different places where people love you and appreciate you is so important too. Yeah. And feeling that genuine love, like, for just being yourself then when you see people don't respect that in romantic relationships you're like I don't need that like I have these friends and I have myself that fulfills me exactly like I even hesitate to like this is not me saying that men and women cannot be friends because they absolutely can but like I value my girl friendships my my friendships with other women so much just because um a lot of times I feel like when I try and be friends with, like, cis straight men, even if it's, like, the most platonic thing on my end, like, I always have this creeping suspicion in the back of my head that I'm, like, they're trying to hook up with me. Yeah. Like, and you're usually right. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah, so I, I've, I've really gone into leaning on myself and my family and, like, my really close friendships and, like, nurturing those, and I feel very, very fulfilled. Um I mean, I've been single for almost a year and a half now. I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, thanks, COVID. <laughs> but it's, like, interesting now because I haven't really had the chance to, like, be single because we broke up, like, right before I moved to D.C. and mm-hmm. right before COVID started. So I never got a chance to, like, mm-hmm. 
get back on the scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I say this is my hot girl summer, that's that's what I mean. You have the vaccine in you. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> dose. I'm injected. Okay. It's so, yeah. really about to be some hot girl shit. <laughs> I was gonna say something, but I forgot. Oh. No, I was- Oh, I think, oh, I think I just was going to say, like, it starts with you, like, like being comfortable with yourself, because you're like with yourself all the time, like you should love, even though it's not easy, like you should love yourself before anything else. 100%. I agree. I think that's a really good message to end with. Um, Because at the end of the day, all you have is yourself Mm -hmm. for however long you live, like, your internal voice is going to be there always. Yeah, you're like, better, might as well befriend it. Like, <laughs> that thing where it's like, would you be friends with someone that always is negative? Like, why are you doing that to yourself? And it's like, true. Yeah. That's a good way to think about it, too. I think a lot of times, you know, people just don't trust themselves enough. And that's something that I, I've been working on is, like, my intuition is strong as hell. Mm-hmm. And you just got to go with your gut a lot of the times because it's not going to lie to you exactly well okay this is the point in the show where you now get to tell a story about a relationship i'm a little scared um to familiarize the audience with our relationship it's it's honestly so dumb but okay like i remember it was when i was driving over here um it was for kenna's birthday and we had those like neon shirts and we were like in big bear do you remember that for her birthday it was in mammoth big bear i don't know no no you don't remember it was for kenna's birthday we had neon shirts and it was me you kenna and like Mackenzie. you're unlocking memories for me okay well i just remember the specific we all wore uggs i think because we wanted to be cute and so we're trying to walk up the line to go like um go down the little hill and i don't know what it's called oh like a sled yeah 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 and we kept falling and like knocking people over at the line and i was so embarrassed because like we couldn't stand because like uggs don't have traction and like it was so embarrassing like we literally slipped like four times and people were getting upset at us and i was like oh god but yeah that's what i randomly remembered (laughs) oh my gosh i forgot about that but now that you said it i do kind of vaguely remember doing that That is so funny. I remember it is like the first tryout that I met you, and I remember we were like warming up, and like I just thought that you like looked you looked the same as me, so I complimented your glasses, even though they were just like oval shaped frames. (laughs) And I was like, I like your glasses because I wanted to be your friend. Oh my gosh, my sports goggles. (laughs) No, you weren't. You didn't have those on yet. Oh, only. Oh my gosh, (laughs) that must have been like super OG. My my, I just remember my blue like sports goggles that I wore, and then when I got older, they're like you can't wear those because your vision is going to be uh, distorted. I was like, okay, really? That's yeah, why you're still wearing them. That's why I got contacts. <laughs> it was a look, though. Yeah, I mean, I'll maybe I'll maybe I'll find a photo. <laughs> It's going to be funny because I have to pick a photo for um, the episode. So mm-hmm. I have a vault to choose from with yeah, you. I was like, I wonder what she's going to choose. I, c- I could do a really cute one, but I don't think I will. Do like an old one? Like when we went to Disneyland? Oh, <laughs> Those ones are just like bad. Like they're not even cute. Like it's just like, oof. Uh, maybe I will do a cute one. I don't know. I don't know if I want to expose myself like going through puberty. Do that one that we're like we played against each other in high school. That one's a cute one. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm. I'll consider that one. <laughs> so I'm not completely like ugly. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna keep that part hidden. Don't worry. Yeah, you'll never know. <laughs> well, all right. Thanks for being on my show. Super appreciate this and you and this conversation. Um, you're one of my closest friends and have been for a long time. So I feel like, you know, all my deep, dirty, dark secrets. Um, so I appreciate you not exposing me on my, my own podcast, but loved having you here. I know the people listening are going to love you too. So thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me. I had fun. (laughs) I'm glad. Well, that's it for this show this week. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review because it helps us 
Um, I don't know exactly how those algorithms work, but I know it helps. Um, <laughs> make sure you follow us on both Instagram and Twitter at unfilteredwkm. Check out merch at twocentsports.shop to support the show. And make sure you tweet us the comments. Let me know what you think about this episode and any other episode. I love hearing from you guys. My DMs are usually always open. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening if you're still here. Appreciate you greatly. Bye.